I'm just so honored that you would be here, and uh, lots of work, lots of prayer. It's been said time and time again, but we couldn't have youth conference in this way unless you took the time to, to get here, and I hope it's been a great conference for you. Tonight, I, I want to bring a message that I believe is from the Lord, and it's just a new thought for me and for you, and, um, and I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter number 1. It's great to be with my friends here preaching, the men on staff, Brother Charlie, of course, Brother Pauly, and it's just, it's just been good. It's been good. First John is a book written to the believer. It's, it's written to the child of God. Multiple times in the book, it'll say little children, little children, talking about the child of God, it's children of God. It's a family book, and uh, I love my family. My wife is here tonight, and uh, my children are in the room, and I love my family. How many of you love your family? Raise your hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. But this book isn't just talking about our personal family, but... It's talking about the family of God. And I love the family of God. I look in, in this room and I see uh, friends of mine. And in many cases, these friends through the years are more than friends. They're, they're family. They're like family, brothers and sisters. I look at the co-laborers and the men on the platform and, and the men that have been uh, laboring all week, and in many cases, they're more than just co-laborers, they're family. Our pastor is here, and he's, he's, uh, he's more than my pastor. He's, he's like family. Only my dad could put the fear of God in me like he just did a few minutes ago, saying I was going to sing, but, but uh, it's like family. Teenagers, and many of you, I've been to your churches, and your camps, and your retreats, and I've signed your Bible, and I've been there, of course, our own teenagers, and so many of you, you're not just a teenager in a youth group, you're like family. And in the book of 1 John, God wants his children to know some things, and I'll stay with me, and I'll get to you in the, I'll get to the point in a moment, but God wants his children to know things like, you're saved. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's in 1 John chapter number 5. God wants you to know that you're saved. He wants you to have joy in 1 John chapter number 1. You can see it in verse number 4. These things write, write we unto you that your joy may be full. God wants his children to know that they're saved. He wants them to know that they can have joy. He wants them to know how to get clean. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants his children to know uh, how to not be deceived. If you look over in chapter number 3, in verse number 7, the Bible says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He goes on to tell you how to keep from being deceived. We're even taught in 1 John as the people of God, how to love. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 18. My little children, 
Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If you look at chapter 4, verse number 7, beloved, let us love one another. Kind of like Brother John was saying a minute ago, as children of God, uh, there shouldn't be cliques and there shouldn't be, uh, you know, little circles and insults and no, 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 no. God has showed us, uh, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. There's another thing that God would want us as his children to know and to be very aware of, and it's found in our text verse, chapter number 2 of First John. This week we've been focusing on eternity, and I feel like I've been focusing on eternity all year long. It's been our church theme. And in eternity, God does not want his children to be ashamed. Chapter 2, look at it in verse number 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We think about heaven, we think about eternity as a child of God. This book is written to the children of God. And so as a child of God, as a saved person, we think about someday uh, entering into eternity, and I hope that, that when you think about it, uh, there's joy. I mean, we're going to be in heaven if we're saved. Uh, we're never going to touch hell. That theme, that, that scene that you saw of the great white throne, if you're saved, I mean, that is not going uh, to be your final destination. How many of you thank God for that? Uh, and we think of it, you know, we think, man, we're going to be with Jesus, and and we're going to sing around the throne and millions gathered around the throne. And man, I can't wait for that day. And, and, you know, we have those types of thoughts, but we never stop to consider what the Bible says, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I don't want to be ashamed before my father. I can remember as a little boy, and I don't remember how old I was, probably eight years old, maybe younger than that. I was young. My mom and dad were together at the time. They would later get divorced, but they were together at the time, and, and uh, I was playing a video game. If I remember it right, right I was playing Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man. But I was sitting in front of the TV, classic pajamas, Indian-style bowl of cereal, playing Pac-Man, and in between scenes, you know, just trying to eat some cereal. And my dad came up to me and he said, Abdel, uh, mom and I have to go to the store. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Are you good? I said, I'm good. He said, watch your brother. I said, I will. He said, all right. He said, we'll be back in a few minutes. I said, great. My brother was young, still in diapers. I'm sitting there watching or playing the video game and he, he was crawling over and learning to walk and stand up and he, he kind of came over and you know what it's like. How many of you have an annoying little brother or sister? Raise your hand. All right, so you probably understand this. I'm focused on the things that really matter. Eternal gain. Pac-Man, all right, I am focused. And my little brother drooling, young, comes over and he falls on my shoulder and I didn't even look at him. I just, I just, just nudged him off. And I can remember hearing squish, 
his diaper, just his diaper as he would hit the, hit the floor, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, Mom will clean that up later. But uh, he would get up, and it took him time. He couldn't do it instantly. He was young. It took him time. He would, but he would eventually get back up, and he would come back over, and he would, he would you know, fall on my shoulder and drool, you know, and I would just not even pay attention, just push him off, and I'd hear, squish. I'd eat some cereal, go back to the game. I don't know if it was the third or fourth time, but the final time he came over, and he's, and you could feel him, you know, like, you know he's getting close. You're like, all right, bring it, you know, and, uh, and I'm sitting there just trying to time it just right, escaping the ghost and all that, and, and when he fell on me, it was drooling on me, I pushed him over, and expecting to hear squish, I heard, and I looked over, and my brother had hit his head on the corner of the coffee table, scar still there on his head, not the coffee table, but, uh, <laughs> and he was, he's just a child, he's, he's bleeding profusely, crying, and the only thing I could, and he's, he's just, you know, stunned, and the only thing I could think is, man, my dad's coming back, my dad's coming back in a few minutes. So I don't know what made this sound like a good idea to me in the moment. But in the moment, the only thing I could think to do was pick my brother up, run him to the bathroom, uh, put him in the bathtub, turn the shower on, and hope that the water would wash the blood away, and, and go back to my video game as if nothing had happened. That made sense to me. And so a few minutes later... My dad comes in, Abdel, everything good? Yep, everything's good. And I'm just, I don't know what I'm thinking. I think I'm thinking, you know, hopefully by now the water's washing all the way in. I don't know what I'm thinking. Goes into the kitchen, all good, walks into the hallway, and I'm thinking, please don't go to the bathroom. Next thing I know, I hear my dad, Arabic, Middle Eastern, got that voice, you know, that accent, Abdel Kareem, what is this? And I thought, oh no. And man, I'm going to tell you what, hey, have you ever been beaten by an angry Middle Eastern man? There's thousands of years of frustration pent up inside of him. And I was just, and I felt it, man, I felt it. It was terrible. Not a pleasant experience. But worse than the punishment was the embarrassment. Listen to me, teenager. The shame Long after the tears were gone from the pain. I can remember laying in my bed that night and just knowing how disappointed. How could that possibly be a good plan? How could I possibly think that that would work to look into the eyes of my father and to see the disappointment long after the pain was gone? The tears of shame were still there. Teenager, listen to me. It's been a heavy youth conference. I understand it. This is going to be a heavy, heavy message, but we need to hear this. Uh, one of these days, uh, we are going to look into the eyes of fire, the Bible says. I mean, eyes of fire that will look right at us and right through us. And I wonder if uh, this verse will come to pass that we'll stand before our Father ashamed. I wonder if you and I We'll be ashamed of how we lived and what we did and, and, and the way our life uh, uh, played out. When we stand in eternity 
It's not going to be, you know, every time a bell rings, the angel gets his wings. I mean, it's not going to be all glory. There's going to be at least a moment of possible shame. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be ashamed before my father. Tonight, I want you to listen as I preach a message simply entitled this, Standing Before Your Father, Ashamed. Standing before your father, ashamed. Heavenly Father, would you please, please, God, give me clarity of mind, anoint the words, help it to be your words and not my words. Lord, the scriptures that we'll read, the concepts that we'll preach, I pray that they would just be quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And God, would you please give us tonight a glimpse of eternity. God, that we might stand before you someday with confidence like the Bible says. Not ashamed. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. I want to give you three thoughts and I'll be done tonight. Number one, standing before your father ashamed. First thought I want to bring to you is this. Ashamed because I was living a lie. Ashamed because I was living a lie. You say, Brother Judah, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the hypocrisy that is often in our lives, and especially uh, in our teenage years, the hypocrisy that is often there. You know, even in our law, there's, uh, it's called truth in advertising. There are regulations, even on a bowl of cereal. Watch this. Even on a bowl of cereal, it is illegal uh, to not display what is on the inside of the box. It's illegal. Truth in advertising regulations. On a pack of cigarettes, it'll have a warning there, and it'll say, warning, you know, smoking causes lung cancer, heart disease, emphysema, may complicate pregnancy. They they have to put it there on the outside. They have to do it by law in America on the outside uh, to accurately depict what is on the inside. There's no law like that with people. There is no punishment, teenager. There is no earthly punishment law that you're breaking when you display to be one thing on the outside, but on the inside, you're something altogether different. We cannot regulate human nature. And I am afraid that many of us and many of you uh, go through our life and, and we play the game. We act the part. I mean, we wear the mask, however you want to put it. Uh, we're hypocrites. The inside and the outside do not match. We've learned how to fool the preacher and fool the youth pastor and all of those things and we think we're all good but teenager one of these days we will actually stand before our father and if we're a hypocrite we will stand before our father ashamed the inside and the outside need to match and I am convinced that a lot of God's people are playing the game and gentlemen you wear the colored shirt and you have the the haircut that passes you know the the hair check but none of that makes up guys for the heart that is dirty on the inside and ladies we wear the skirts below the knee but that doesn't make up for what we're listening to on our earbuds and in our playlist and I'm just saying one of these days we'll stand before our father and if we're living a lie we'll stand there ashamed and God doesn't want that he says I want you to have confidence
confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I can't look the part on the outside and have some secret account that only a handful of people know about where the real me comes out and expect to stand before God. And he'll just give us a pass like everyone else that we fooled. Teenager, you can't fool God. I mean, the day is coming where you will stand before your father. And all I want tonight is for you to stand there someday with confidence and to not be ashamed. It's so easy to fool people from a distance. It's so easy. Man, I look at this crowd and how many times have you said, Brother Charlie, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. Before Brother Paulie left, he said, Abdel, I'm encouraged. Brother Paulie said, great young people have a heart for God. And I believe by and large it's true, but is it true for you? Because I can stand here and look at you, and man, you look, hey, you look from, from this distance, you look great. But when you stand before God, let me ask you a question. You're going to have confidence or you're going to be ashamed? I've told the story before. I got permission to tell the story. My daughter's here, and she's graduating. So I'll just tell the story one last time just for her. I don't think I've told it at youth conference or even recently to this crowd. When she was little, young, she was full of drama. I mean, she was, she was about as dramatic as they came. She lived in an imaginary world. She thought that she was a princess. She thought that she was Cinderella or... Rapunzel or somebody like that, she thought, she thought she, she lived in a world of fake imaginary Disney magic, and that was her world. She, she loved me then, and, uh, and she would sing this song. She had this crazy notion that she was going to marry her dad someday. And she'd sing the song, man. She would sing the song, I want to marry daddy when I grow up. I want to marry daddy when I grow up. And I just thought it was awesome, you know, as a dad. It's like hearing her singing, I'm like, oh, I'll do anything for you, you know. And she really believed it, and so much so that she would even draw out the wedding, you know. She would draw it out. She had pictures of it. Now, she was just a little girl, but she had pictures of the wedding. She would draw the platform and the preacher, and she had all of the attendants, but she didn't call them attendants. She called them customers. <laughs> she said, Dad, these are our customers. And I said, I hope they give a lot of money. Because your dramatic Disney wedding is going to be expensive someday. And I hope they give a lot of money. But she was accurate. I mean, she, she drew it the way she saw it. She had our dog, Max. He was a customer. Her brother, Adam, wasn't allowed to be in the wedding. He was holding the door in the back. That was, she had all the colors picked out and all of those things. And my wife got a little upset at her, you know, because she felt like she was carrying it too far, singing the song, drawing the pictures all the time. She said, Alana, what? She said, Alana how are you going to marry daddy someday? She said, she said, mommy's already married to daddy. And just as soon as my wife said it, Alana got a sinister grin on her face. And she said, oh, that's easy. She said, you'll be in heaven. And, uh, <laughs> and that was the first sign that we were raising a serial killer. No, no, no. So my wife just dropped that one, stepped back, you know, and, uh, and that was that. That was, that was the magical world of princess that she was living in. True story. She remembers it. 
I was coming home from a meeting. I was tired, and all I wanted to do was go to sleep, Pastor. All, like, just wanted to get home, you know? And I was, she was waiting for me. I knew she'd be waiting for me. And I knew no, most of the time she, she was right. She would float to the door, you know, when I got home. She was just literally, it was like, it was, oh, Daddy. And, uh, and I thought, man, I, I just thought of something quick and easy, and I was going to take her on a little date, and I, I just kind of thought of something, and she came to the door, sure enough, and, and before she could even say anything, I said, Alana, oh, yes, Daddy. I said, Alana, don't move a muscle, okay. I said, I've been thinking about you all day, Daddy, and I said, I said we're going to go on a date right now, a daddy-daughter date. Really? Yes. I said, go put your shoes on. We were living in West Virginia at the time. I said, go put your shoes on. I said, we're going to go for a date. She said, okay. And I said, Jesus has some special things prepared for us. Okay. And then I prayed as she floated off to go put her shoes on. Jesus, show me something. And uh, the plan was just ride the bike around the corner. That was the plan. Just ride the bike around the block. She came out. We got on our bikes. We went around the block. And sure enough, I saw a little butterfly. And I stopped right there. And I said, Alana, look what Jesus put in the sky just for you, just for me. What, Daddy? I said, that butterfly, it is perfect. There's not an imperfection on it. God put that there. She's looking at it. Oh, oh. And I'm thinking, Lord, I need something else. <laughs> and, uh, and look, I'll, I'll, to make a long story short, we went to a puppy and saw a little puppy being walked and she rolled around with the puppy and the puppy licked her face and I was in there thinking that's good and out of the corner of my eye we saw a handful of other things but out of the corner of my eye I saw a little uh, black kitten go underneath a red barn and I thought man that's how we're gonna end the day that's the that's the end of the daddy-daughter day there's a little black kitten there and so when she got done with the dog I said Alana uh, Jesus has shown us all of these things there's one more thing to see right underneath that barn we'll ride our bike over there but I saw it a little black kitten under there I said, that'll be the last thing before we go home. She said, okay. We rode our bike over there. She got off her bike. I said, go ahead, go check it out. And I'm on my phone, you know, kind of looking at whatever. She goes underneath the barn, just has her hand under there, just looking. And, and all of a sudden, I hear a blood-curdling scream. Ah, oh, Daddy! I turn and I look, and she's running, and coming behind her, chasing her, is a little black furry creature with a big white streak down the center of it. And she is, she is, she is, dad, dad. You know, you say, Brother Gina, what'd you do? I took off, man. I, I did. I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I took off. And it's a life lesson. You know, people are going to disappoint. You might as well learn that now. Life's not a Disney movie. I took off. She's behind me. Daddy, the, the, the rabid zombie skunk is, ah, you know, chasing her. And it did not catch her. She did not get sprayed. But here's the thought from a distance. Man, it looked like a kitten to me. But the closer you got, the more you realize that it wasn't. And teenager, listen, comical story. But some of us are going to live our lives and from a distance, we'll carry the Bible and we'll wear the tie and we'll be in our pew. And, and I'm even talking to the church family from a distance. I mean, we'll look like the real deal. But on the inside, when we stand before God and the eyes of fire look at us, I mean, and all things are naked and open, are we going to drop our head in shame because we were living a lie? I think of Jacob standing before his father. You absolutely know the story, and I've preached it, and I won't, won't belabor the point, but there he is. He's living a lie. He's dressed up like his brother. 
He's put the animal fur on his uh, hands and on his neck, and, and he's looking to steal the blessing from his older brother Esau. And so he's got to act, he's got to pretend, he's got to play, and he gets all dressed up. And right before he goes through with it, he has a thought. My dad Isaac is old and blind, and surely we can trick him, but maybe... He'll figure this thing out. And he says this in Genesis 27, verse number 12. He's talking to his mother. He says, my father peradventure will feel me and I shall seem to him as a deceiver and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. You see, Jacob at this point in his life is the ultimate hypocrite. He's the ultimate actor. He's all dressed up. He's trying to deceive his father. He has a slight concern as he's getting dressed up that he's going to be caught. He never was caught. He got by with it. But teenager, watch this. Uh, Isaac was old and blind but our heavenly father is alive and well and he sees you and he knows what's on the phone and he knows what's in the text and he knows and will we stand before our father ashamed so we were living a lie, Judas in Matthew chapter number 27 he saw every miracle he saw every he heard every message but Matthew, he was friends with the disciples. I mean, one of 12 probably used somebody else's phone to make the plan to sell out the Son of God. Probably put it all together on that other account that nobody else knew about. But you see, the day came in Matthew chapter number 27, verse number 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I've sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And look at the shame as he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and he departed and he went and he hanged himself. Uh, Judas, the ultimate hypocrite, the ultimate man that was living a lie. The time finally came where it was too late to make it right. Teenager, the time will come where it's too late to make it right but that time is not now that time is not today you can be true and sincere and the real deal you don't have to stand before God ashamed because you are living a lie let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, uh, having our hearts sprinkled uh, from an evil conscience. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Even Joshua in the Old Testament said, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth uh, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood. Jesus said, they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Let me tell you what God's looking for tonight. He's looking for some sincere teenagers that aren't living a double life. Nothing to hide. You want to know how you can have confidence? Hey, teenager, you want to know how you can have confidence someday before God? If you live your life with nothing to hide. Standing before my father, ashamed. Because I was living a lie. Number two, ashamed because I was living a lie, but think of this, ashamed because I ignored their cry. What are you talking about, Brother Judah? What cry? I don't hear anybody. I'm talking about the cry of the lost. 
One way that I know I'll stand before God ashamed is if I ignore the cry of the lost. I ignored their cry. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 34 says, Awake the righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I mean, if we live our lives and, and we never share the gospel and we never go soul winning and, and we're just unconcerned, you may get through your life that way, teenager, but I know you'll stand before your father ashamed. Hey, let me ask you a question. How concerned are you for a lost and dying world? When was the last time you won somebody to Christ? Does it even bother you? If it's been a long time, does it even bother you, teenager? It ought to bother you. I mean, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He looked at us and he said, you, you are my ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ. And if we're not soul winning, we will stand before the Father ashamed. I worked at USF Distribution with some of my best friends in all the world, Andy and Ted Dahl, Brian Fisher, and others. There's a third shift supervisor there. His name was Victor Garcia. We called him Big Vic. Big Vic was one of the meanest men you've ever met in your life. He was mean. On the outside, he was mean, but once you got past all that, he was a nice guy. And, but he had a good front. I mean, he really did. He'd come into work. He always had a clipboard. Andy, Ted, I don't know where you guys are at, but you'll remember it. He'd walk into work third shift, so he'd come in at 11 o'clock, he'd have a cup of coffee, styrofoam cup, he'd put it on the clipboard, and he would just walk around like this. And the guy didn't have to, I mean, he knew, he was like all-knowing, omnipresent, omniscient. He knew what was going on in that whole facility. Just walking around like this with a cup of coffee on his clipboard. People were scared to death of Big Vic. Somehow, I don't know how, I found like a soft spot in his heart. I remember he invited us to play basketball, and he loved basketball. He was in his 50s, maybe even early 60s. And so at that point, even if you used to be able to play, by the time you're 60 years old, if you're still playing basketball, about the only thing you can do is foul people that try to drive on you. That's about all you got left, and that was Vic, man. He'd grab rebounds. He would punish people in the paint. That was Vic. I can remember they passed me the ball, a little pickup game on Saturday. I hit a little shot off the right elbow. Running back down, Big Vic, lucky, lucky. Came back down, left side, hit a shot off the elbow, Big Vic, lucky, lucky. Judah, came back down, hit a shot, top of the key, Big Vic shook his head, sweet baby corn, that's what he said. We had plans to witness to him. Remember, my friends went away, and I don't remember now if it was Christmas break or the summer. But they weren't there. I had picked up a, stayed a little later, and Vic came in, and I do remember now, it was, it was Christmas, because it was cold, it was frigid outside. And I was leaving works, so I worked second shift, and he was coming into works, so he worked third shift. He said, Judah, come do the yard check with me. Yard checks, when we went outside, we had to check all the trailers. See what was inside, write the numbers down, make sure they were there. Come do the yard check with me, Judah. And, and two things happened simultaneously in my heart. Number one, I believe the Holy Spirit said, this is the time. It's Christmas. It's, you'll be helping them out doing the yard check. This is the time. Witness to them. 
The other thing that went off in my head was, man, it's cold, I've worked all day, and I'm tired. And I looked at him, I said, Vic, not now, man, maybe later. Come on, Judah! No, not now, Vic, maybe later, maybe next time. All right. Off he went. I got in my Cavalier, I left the workplace, stopped the little truck stop, get a Pepsi to keep me awake. And as I rolled out of the parking lot, I could turn left and go to USF distribution and witness the big Vic in the yard, or I could go right and go home and get some sleep. And I can remember being at that crossroads and the Holy Spirit saying, this is the time. And I thought, man, I'm tired. I took a ride and I went home. Woke up the next morning, did my ministry. Went to church all day Sunday morning. Preached in a nursing home Sunday afternoon. Went to church on Sunday night. Went to school Monday morning. Rolled into USF Monday night, 5 o'clock. And when I walked into USF, there at the time card where you had to punch in, a bunch of men were, were standing there. It was unusual. I walked over and worked my way through the crowd, and I found my time card. And when I did, I saw the name. Victor Aguirre Garcia. And I saw the dates where he had passed away. Victor had done that yard check that night and went home, sat on his lazy boy, turned on ESPN, had a massive heart attack and went into eternity. Big Vic. I got that news. I was stunned. I, I didn't even punch in. I, I didn't even stay at work. I just went back home and I was so upset. I went into my room. I picked up the phone. I called my friend Andy Dahl. Andy, where are you at? I don't see you. Where are you at? I know that you're in here somewhere. I called my friend Andy Dahl and through tears I said, Andy, Big Vic has died and he was stunned and I was stunned. And then I told him the story. I said, Andy, I was supposed to witness to him. I said, Andy, uh, he wanted me to do a yard check, and God told me to witness to him, and, and I was too tired, and it was too cold, and I didn't do it. And I said, Andy, uh, man, I don't know what to think. And I remember what he said. He said, he said, Abdel, it's not your fault. He said, it's not your fault, and don't do that. And then he said this, we both should have witnessed to him. One day I'll stand before God and a man that I probably could have won to Christ. Maybe he made a childhood decision. Maybe he was saved at a VBS. He was a hardcore Catholic, but maybe he had made, I could hang on to that, but there's something inside of me, teenager, that believes that I'll stand before God and that guy that, that maybe I was the only one that could have witnessed to him, that moment that God had put together that I let pass. Uh, maybe when I see him pass, maybe my head will drop in shame as I stand before my God because I ignored their cry. You say, man, Brother Judah, this is heavy. It is heavy. Eternity is heavy. God, give us a fire again to win the lost at any cost. I mean, the Apostle Paul had a vision, and there was a man in Macedonia, and, and he was just saying, hey, hey, come help us. Come help us. What if Paul would have said, no, nah, I got things to do. Got a job at McDonald's. Can't go. Yeah. Yeah. Teenager. I wonder how many people are in other countries right now saying, help us! Help us! And man, you come to youth conference and God touches your heart and you sit there and you say, no! 
And you might be able to forget about the moment that you were called. And you might live that perfect little life, that American dream. You might be able to, to orchestrate all of that and be a good member in the church. And I'm not downplaying any of that. But my friend, if God has placed on your life a calling to reach the law, and he's placed it on all of our lives, and if we just ignore that, we, we will stand before God ashamed. Ashamed. Because I was living a lie. Ashamed. Because I ignored their cry. And then I want to give you the last one. Ashamed. Listening to me. Ashamed. Because I refused to die. Die to self. The Bible says in Mark chapter number 8. You could turn there if you'd like. Mark chapter number 8. We've quoted it several times this youth conference. But in verse number 34, the Bible says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world, lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? But look at verse number 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also, shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here Jesus is speaking very plainly, teenager. He's looking at his disciples and he's saying, here's what needs to happen. You need to deny yourself. You need to die to self. And it's not your life. You, you, need to, you need to pick up a cross. You need to follow me. You need to crucify your plans. Crucify your dreams and follow me. And if not... Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I like what Paul said. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Teenagers, some of you are living your own life, and it's not yours to live. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's and if he tells you to go somewhere go there if he tells you to say something say it if he tells you to let go of something let it go and if you don't but oh, Peter think about Peter that great apostle Peter Matthew chapter number 26 for just a moment did what he wanted to do for just a moment I mean, he would someday die for Christ. But there was a moment where the people that were around mattered more. Hey, Brother Rick, the people that were in front of him mattered more than the future ahead of him. And he just couldn't say it. Hey, you're one of his, aren't you? And he just couldn't say yes. That would be embarrassing. That would cause some, I don't know. I don't know what it would cause, but here's what I know. When he realized what he had done, the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 26, verse number 75, when Peter remembered the word of Jesus, thou shalt deny me thrice, he went out and look at it. Look at the shame. He wept bitterly. Let me ask you a question, teenager. Whose life are you living? Own plan, own dreams? 
own future, your own music, your own college, you know, all that. Have you even asked? Hey, have you even asked God? Lord, what would I have me to do? And I'm telling you something. We, we, we justify like putting religion in our life, but living our life the way we want to. And I'm here to say that kind of living will stand before God someday ashamed. I want confidence and not shame when I stand before God. I love telling the story. I, I wish I knew more of the details. My grandma, we called her Vovo. She was my dad's mom. Kind of a mystical lady, to be honest with you. And I got called to preach. There was some rejection there. and You know that story. It was difficult for me. Matter of fact, it was a youth conference. It was a youth conference, honestly, where I died to self. It, it was in the old auditorium up there in the balcony where I was wrestling with my call to preach. And man, what, what is, I didn't think surrendering to God was going to bring hardship. I didn't think surrendering to God was going to bring difficulty. And, and when it did, I, I, hey, I said what a lot of you say, man, it was just emotion. Maybe I just did it because everybody else was doing it. Maybe I should go back on that decision and that calling. And I can remember Brother Hiles preaching and, and he preached about opening your mouth unto the Lord and never going back. And man, it was on that night I didn't get saved. I didn't surrender that night. But it was that night where I died to self and I said, God, this really, this isn't my tongue. This is your tongue. This isn't my mind. This is your mind. These aren't my hands. This is your hand. And I've opened my mouth unto the Lord. I cannot go back. And I went to an altar and I remember praying, Karen, and saying, God, I'll never turn back. I'll never turn back. I'll never turn back and I've not lived perfectly not even close but by the grace of God I'm standing here tonight uh, preaching and, and, and it's not my life it's his life Amen. have you died to self Vovo told me she said Abdel she said Abdel I have to tell you a story you know why your dad and grandpa are so upset I said I do because I'm a Christian and because I'm called to preach she said well yes but not that's not all of it we sat there in her living room. She said, Abdel, there was a man, and I have searched my memory banks, and I cannot remember what she said. Grandfather, uncle, distant. She said he was a respected man in Ramallah, where we're from. He had two sons and a wife and a business and a reputation. She said he showed up one day, this is what she said, with a book. She said, Abdel, that book made him crazy. She said he was crazy. He'd scream about the book. He'd, she said he'd often stand on the corner and he would say, God, help my sons and their sons and their sons to love the book and to live for the book. And she said, Abdel, nobody ever listened to him. They made fun of him. They thought he was crazy. They would have killed him, but they decided to just let him be a spectacle. She said this. She said, Abdel, children in the village would throw rocks at him. She said... His sons never listened. He lost his business. He lost his wife. And he lost his children. He was a crazy lunatic. Screaming all the time about a book. Help my sons and their sons and their sons to love the book and to live for the book. And they never, she said, Abdel, they never did. Nobody did. He was crazy. And they found him one day homeless. This is her story. In an alley with no shoes on his feet, 
just with the book. Your father, your grandfather, they don't want that for you. That's why they're so upset. I remember hearing that, and I've thought about that so many times. And I wonder if there's a man in glory right now looking over the banisters and his sons never listened and their sons never listened. Maybe their sons never listened. They never got a hold of the book and they never preached the book and they never lived for the book. But maybe in the sovereignty of God, because one man died to himself and lived for God, here I am and I'm a son that listened and I'm preaching the book and people are listening and they are responding. And man, teenager, it's not your life. Life, die to yourself. Die to yourself. Nineteen fifty-nine, the Queen of England was visiting Chicago. They had made a big deal about it. They had they had Union Jack flags all over the city, and they had cleaned up the city. It was a big deal. The Queen of England's visiting Chicago. They had decorated, cleaned it all up, and they had announced that she would be staying in the prestigious Drake Hotel right downtown. She got there or before her visit. The newspapers and reporters came, and they interviewed the owner of the Drake Hotel. And they just asked him a question. They said, what have you done, sir? What have you done in preparation for the queen? And he looked right at him. He said, I've done nothing. They were flabbergasted. They were taken back. They said, What? said, I've done nothing. I've done nothing to prepare for the queen. They said, how could you? She's staying here. How could you do nothing? He said, oh, no, you don't understand. Here at the Drake, every day, every room is prepared for royalty. Teenager, the king is coming. He'll appear. Hey, he'll appear. And all of this will wash away. And eternity will come into focus. I want to have confidence. I want you to have confidence. You know how you can have confidence? When you know that you're not living a lie. When you know... Look, we're not going to be perfect soul winners. I get that. We're going to pass people up sometimes. I get that. The Lord has to help us with that. But there's a difference between missing someone every now and again and flat out ignoring the cry of the lost. You want to know how you can have confidence? If, if you surrender your life, hey, if you refuse to die to self, here, 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 maybe I can put it this way. Every day, every room in your heart Prepared for royalty. How foolish was I? Eight years old. Oh, pick him up, run him over, put him in the shower, turn the water on, go away. Nobody will know, nobody will know. Play my game. How foolish. About as foolish as it is for us to think that there's a God in heaven that doesn't see and know and hear. Teenager. Are you going to stand before God ashamed? Are you going to stand before God with confidence? I'm going to ask our singers to come back out. I want to be used by you. Teenager, just stop. Just stop for a moment and th think with me. 
humility, and eternity. But the Pauly took us to the throne room and showed us the things that are going to be in eternity. Brother Ricky, the king, wants his men back. And Brother Andy's wonderful message, what if God? Th think about the sermons that you heard from Brother Eddie and Pastor Wilkerson and, and uh, uh, till death do us part. And what is your life? It's even a vapor. Here our pastor stood and he showed pictures and he poured out his heart. And you say, why would he do that? I'm going to tell you why. Because he wants you to have confidence someday when you stand before God. Not to be ashamed. And I know that along the way, the Holy Spirit of God, I know it. Maybe he didn't mention, you know, maybe the preacher didn't mention your music. But God did. Maybe the preacher didn't mention, you know, that exact field that you're looking to get into as you run from the will of God. But God did. I, listen, do we have to be, teenager, this has been a mature conference, right? Mature? Can we be mature enough to listen to the Spirit of God? Does it have to be? Well, if the preacher says exactly that. Can we just mature, be mature enough to say, Lord, I believe in you, and I know that I'll stand before you someday, and when I do, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed because I was one thing on the outside, something altogether different on the inside. I don't want to be ashamed because I paid lip service to soul winning, but my heart wasn't in it. I don't want to be ashamed because at the end of the day, I held on to my life, and I refused be crucified with Christ. I'm going to ask them to sing. <laughs>